Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. The Drinking Hour on Food FM. You're listening to The Drinking Hour with David Kermode in association with the International Wine and Spirit Competition, using the best in the world to judge the best in the world. Hello and welcome to The Drinking Hour here on Food FM with me, David Kermode. On this week's programme, who's up and who's down in the world of fine wine in 2021? We'll talk to Rupert Miller about the new LiveX Power 100. And how do you go about building a new wine brand from scratch? We'll talk to Rob Mathias, French buyer at Bibendum. He's done just that, creating Fête de Flaver. Plus, of course, your recommendations from the IWSC Hall of Fame. The Drinking Hour on Food FM. Twenty twenty one is drawing to a close, which means a new list of the LiveX Power One Hundred, the chart of the world's leading wine brands based on their trading performance and price, produced with the trade magazine Drinks Business last year, saw Italy storm up the chart, thanks in part at least to Trump tariffs on French wines. Uh, so, who are this year's uh, winners and losers? The LiveX Power One Hundred's author is Rupert Miller. And he joins us now. Uh, Rupert, welcome to The Drinking Hour. I'm very, very pleased to be here. Uh, Very pleased to have you too. So this is really interesting stuff. Um, For those not familiar with it, uh, just explain briefly uh, what the Power 100 is and how you go about compiling it. Sure. It's probably... uh worth just quickly mentioning what what livex is people might might may not know so livex yeah. is a uh, a global marketplace for fine wine it's the the largest the most active marketplace as well we have over 500 members in over 40 countries around well, around the world to use, to use that the old cliche um and all of them are are buying and, and selling wine from one another and all of this creates lots of creates lots of data. And it's this data that we then use to create the, the Power 100. And the Power 100, as you said at the start there, is this definitive breakdown of the 100 most powerful wine labels in the secondary market um, over the last year. And so what we do to calculate it is we we look at all the wines that have been traded uh, on the LiveX marketplace over one year. And this year in question is the 1st of October 2020 to 30th September 2021. Uh, and then we group these by brand. So when we looked at how many wines are traded, we saw we had close to 12,000 different wines. And when you sort of distill those down, they came from just over 1,600 different producers. So if you imagine you have you know, Chateau Lafitte Rothschild, for example, having X many vintages trading, and then it's also got Carouard Lafitte with X many vintages trading. So we just group those under Chateau Lafitte. What we then do is, from those uh, producers and those wines, we identify the brands that have traded at least three wines or vintages with a, a value of trade of at least £10,000. So once we've done that, the 1,600 odd um, brands that we 
firsthand were uh, chopped down to about 421. And it's those we then add extra criteria on to create the top 100. That extra criteria is we look at the year-on-year performance of each wine. So we, from what's the price of a, a case on the 1st October 2020, and then what's the price on um, 30th September 2021? Has it gone up, down, stayed the same? We look at the trading performance uh, in terms of how much volume, how much value was traded, so how much, you know, obviously in, in price and how many cases, and then the number of individual wines and vintages traded, and then on top of all of that, the average price of the wines. And so once we've done that for each each brand, we can then create a score, because we, we weight each of those criteria, we create a score, and then we can rank those 421 brands in order, and then obviously we can chop off the top 100, which is the list. Blimey. I mean, it's quite a piece of work. Uh, must take you uh, ages. Uh, before we talk about um, this year's results, um, I want to talk about last mm. year, which might sound a bit odd ordinarily, but last year was something of an earthquake, wasn't it? It was. And actually, it, it's always worth looking at, um, you know, providing that context for the, for the year before. You know, I, I think it's, it's important to remember as well, though, why that sort of earthquake happened. I mean, we, we, we can I'll just quickly break down how the sort of the, the the power 100 has looked in the past and what it then looked like last year and, and and this year so if we go back even as recently as 2016 bordeaux wine labels represented 57 so therefore 57 percent of the wines in the in the in the top 100 and then over time this has decreased and in, and in 2020 it was only 37 wines so you go from 57 percent to 37 percent in the span of you know what four or five years um and it's actually down to uh, 30 in uh, in this year's list and then the other side of that was, um, you know, you've got the likes of Burgundy going from 19 wines in 2016 to 24 in 2020. Italian wines went from nine wines in 16 up to 17 in 2020. So it's a big increase in these other other regions coming up. This is the sort of earthquake you're you're sort of alluding to. But as I say, it's, it's important to remember what what caused that. So last year's list was based on the period October 19. To September 20, and think what was going on at that time. You had, you know, you had political unrest and riots in Hong Kong. You've got the U.S. and China in a trade spat. You've got the U.S. and the EU in a trade spat, which led to uh, wine tariffs. You've got the sort of peak of uh, anxiety and uncertainty as Brexit approaches. You know what's going to happen with trade? Can wine get across the channel, etc.? Uh, and then COVID hit at the same time. So that's a huge cocktail of incredibly turbulent events going on and it had this effect on on the fine wine market. Um, examples of that would be, for example, you know, Hong Kong, which is a big buyer of Burgundy, it's in turmoil, there's a lot of you know uncertainty and so Burgundy buying, you know, dies down a little bit. Obviously in the US, European wines are being having big extra tariffs. So this leads to a bit of a downturn in Bordeaux and Burgundy buying, but it leads to an upsurge in Italian and Champagne buying because they're not covered under the tariffs. Um, and so this turbulent period led to, you know, a fairly turbulent list. And I think what's quite interesting about the Power 100 list is it's a bit like, um, they're, they're a bit like a Bond film, if you like. You know, they sort of reflect the sort of social fears and, and so on of, of, of its age. Um, you know, Bond films going from sort of Soviet bad guys, to sort of, you know, tech corporations or whatever, whoever the bad guys are today. You know, the, the Power 100 list is, is a reflection of, of what's going on in the market. And so last year's list with this kind of big surge for Italy uh, and Champagne and Bordeaux really kind of decreasing um, the number of wines uh, in the list, which reflected a, you know, 
a slowing down of border in the market. You know, it, it's it's I say very very much a product of its of its time. Yeah, I like the bond analogy uh, as well. Um, you can trust you as a good journalist to, to work something like that in uh, as a some kind of uh, metaphor. But um, I mean. Uh, some of those issues you mentioned have been uh, resolved or at least temporarily uh, put to a halt. Others are still kind of very much uh, with us. So let's look mm. at, at this year's uh, report. Um, so Italy was last year's big winner in fine wine terms. Um, how has it performed this year? Oh, to be honest, it, pretty well. Um, as you say, you know, Italy really boomed last year, which had been building, you know, one had the sense of the Italian wine starting to really find their feet in the market, but it, it really boomed last year, obviously, because, you know, it was, it was a, it was an outlet of, of wine that the US could get for, you know, without having extra, extra tariffs on top. And obviously, the US has always been a big market for Italian wine. So it was really quite, a, it was quite a natural, quite a natural thing. And so Italy re- really jumped it and it jumped up to, you know, 15% of trade by value in the markets as well, which was um, up, up from 8%. So it really did, it really did jump. The number of wines in this year's list um, did go down a little bit from, it's been down from 17 to, to 14 wines. But actually, if you look at Italy's value of trade in um, that sort of, that last year, uh, it actually remained the same. So even though a couple of wines dropped out, Italy overall stayed very steady. You know, it's it's certainly not a, a flash in the pan thing that was brought about by the circumstances of last year. Italy is very much part of the uh, the fine wine secondary market now. I think you know, certainly the great wines of Tuscany, the great wines of Piedmont are very much on, on, on people's radars. And with rising interest in the UK, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's here to stay, I think, as a, as a market force. Yeah, there were many people who felt that uh, um, Italy absolutely you know, deserved its, its place in that uh, chart and the success that it uh, had enjoyed. It had been a, a long time coming. So that's, that's good to know that it's kind of largely kind of um, consolidated there. What about Burgundy then? Because uh, your report, I think, suggests a sort of Burgundian bounce back. Yeah, well, obviously, when, um, when Bordeaux sort of basically... Ten years ago, when uh, China was really, um, really came into the market with all this sort of fresh money and 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 really you know wanting to buy fine wine, they went after Bordeaux in a very very big way, and so you had this big big market um, for for Bordeaux ten years ago, and then uh, very combination of factors that sort of market fell away somewhat, but and 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 China sort of re looked at what it wanted and, and Burgundy began to be its its thing. It was sort of the next um, you know, the, the, the next thing to go after. And this has led to you know rising, rising prices for for Burgundy. And this has created some some issues because obviously Burgundy is a very small region um, and production of its very great wines are very, very small. So now you've got an in- increased global demand uh, and you know with more money to back that up. And so prices are being pushed, pushed, pushed. And so this is you know Given Burgundy a big boost in the in, in the secondary market, but then last year it sort of slowed because ultimately, with a very limited sort of products, as it were, reaching very high prices, you, the number of buyers who are able to buy these wines naturally decreases, and the wines are becoming harder to find due to rising demand and also due to the number of small vintages that Burgundy's had recently. It's been horribly hit by all kinds of. Um, frosts and hail and, and and other destructive weather events in its in its vineyards so so burgundy slowed a bit last year but it has come back 
this year. Uh, it's come back on the, uh, with some some of its classic labels, you know, Domino Romney, Conti, Le Roi, uh, and also some other up-and-coming labels. And I think it's important to say that, you know, before Burgundy really hit the big time in the secondary market, there were only a few wines like Domaine de la Romney-Conti, which were very well known. I think, you know, Burgundy is actually still evolving in, in, in the secondary market. You know, the, the buyers and collectors are still sort of feeling their way through the category and trying to determine which wines, which domains are sort of the next, you know, great domains to be following and where there's value and so on. And people are coming to terms with new pricing levels. So, so Burgundy's, I think, you know, it's definitely growing. It's obviously, it's very, very, very well respected and loved. Um, and it's proves in the secondary market is, is almost certainly one of you know, future growth. But I think it's going to be interesting to see how that sort of fluctuates upwards as, as people, you know, come to terms with what they're dealing with. Yeah, it's fascinating. I mean, what then about Bordeaux? Because uh, that's really the daddy of them all uh, mm. in, our, in all of our minds, as well as in you know in in the this history of the, the Power One Hundred. And at face value, those figures you were talking about earlier on, uh, I think it was fifty-seven down to thirty. Um, that, mm. that suggests Bordeaux is is not doing especially well. Yeah, Bordeaux Bordeaux is an interesting one. It, it's the sort of example of being able to hold two contradictory thoughts in your head in one moment. So yeah, again, 10 years ago, when, when China first arrived and really bought Bordeaux, I mean, Bordeaux represented about 90% of the value of trade on the secondary market. And it's now, um, as of this year so far, I believe you know, we're looking at around 40 to 39% uh, of trade by value. So that's the, you know, it's been a huge, a huge drop off in sort of total Bordeaux sales, in value terms at least. Then again, Bordeaux is still the single biggest sort of region traded on the secondary market. You know, the, 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 you know even, at, even at 40%, it's, it, it's the biggest, um, biggest single region. And if you look at the likes of the first growths, you know, sort of Lafitte, Mouton, Rothschild, Aubriand, Margot, Latour, they remain among the most highly traded wines by volume and value in the secondary market as well. They are, they are still very much, you know, at the core of fine wine trade. I think what's really, really going on with Bordeaux at the moment is people are being a lot more selective about which chateau they're buying. Um, as the, I mean, what we've seen over these last 10 years, and in particular, over the, maybe the last sort of, within the last five, is this broadening and diversification of the market, people buying Burgundy, Italy, Champagne, Californian wines, I mean, all kinds of other stuff. And so I think people have come to realize that you don't just have to buy Bordeaux. There's other things you can buy as well. Um, they are still buying Bordeaux, but they're being more selective. And I think there's you know, big domains, famous domains like the first growth, like, I don't know, Cheval Blanc, Petrus and Ozone on the right bank are always going to be absolute staples. And then underneath that, it's now, as a, as a Bordeaux chateau, you, know, you really have to state your case as to why you need to be in people's cellars. And people aren't automatically just going to buy Bordeaux because. So it's still hugely important and relevant. And it does still offer value as well. So people are still buying um, Bordeaux, but it's it's um, it's as I say, yeah, it's no longer a hell or high water. I I, I will buy Bordeaux uh, just because. Mm, interesting. Uh, what about Champagne then? Because that's been a recent success story 
uh, on the Power 100. And I was looking at the uh, brochure for uh, a big wine sale at Christie's uh, uh, next week. And it's interesting um, how many uh, fine examples of champagne. There's uh, an 1874 Perrier Jouet uh, bottle there, I think. Um, you know, there, there's appears to be this, this real appreciation, this real appetite uh, from collectors uh, for aging champagne now. Yeah, well, obviously, I mean, champagne's always been the sort of the third part of France's holy trinity of, of fine wine, hasn't it? I mean, you know, Bordeaux, Burgundy, Champagne, I mean, it's just, it's, it's well known, I think, to everyone. It, it, it really is a, it has global reach. Uh, I think people who are, would not consider themselves to be fine wine buyers or collectors uh, know of Dom Perignon, know of Cristal or Comte de Champagne or you know, Bollinger Grand Arnais, uh, and maybe have even bought a bottle. It has, you know, it, its brands have brand power unlike many other fine wine regions, and it has reach. Uh, it's very, you know, produced in good quantities. It's distributed globally extremely efficiently, um, and the prices are pretty accessible as well. I think if you look at the price of Dom Perignon, for example, uh, I think on average you'd be paying somewhere in the region of you know uh, twelve hundred pounds if you bought twelve bottles. Now that's not to be sniffed at, but when you consider the prices of Bordeaux first growth, which might be four, five thousand pounds, and prices of um, sort of Burgundian Grand Cru's, which you might get three bottles for again double double figures, uh, triple uh, triple uh, four figures even, you know, that's you know to buy one of the greatest wines in the world, that's that's a very fair price, and so I think that this combination of brand power, accessible prices, good distribution already stands in very good stead. And then there has been, as you say, this kind of understanding, this realization in the past, um, yeah, probably 10, probably slightly, slightly less, certainly very recently, this realization that champagne is actually a, a wine. It's not just fizzy stuff for celebration. You know, it's very high quality. It can age. And so this newfound appreciation of champagne as something very high quality is actually a wine, you know, uh, plus that sort of, you know, all this you know, global brand power uh, is a very, very potent mix, which has stood Champagne in an extremely good stead. We've talked about uh, a, a lot of France, uh, which uh, is hardly mm. surprising, really, because that's where sort of premium sits. Uh, we've talked about Italy. Uh, what about the rest of the world? Where else are you seeing some inroads into your power 100 from countries that aren't France or Italy? There are, looking outside of the top 100 briefly, so in, in those 421 wines that we um, that we initially had, we actually we, we, we picked up um, we picked up uh, wines from from all over. We picked up there was even some wine from Lebanon listed for the first time this year um, in those uh, in those initial 421 wines, uh, and then even uh, even within France, um, we picked up some wines from the likes of Beaujolais, Alsace, Loire. Um, it, it's it's it, and, and Austria was in there as well. So and and Chile and Argentina. So you know there's there's a whole uh, pool of sort of wines bubbling away, not in the top 100 yet. Maybe, maybe one day. Um, we actually even had some Scotch whiskies um, appear for the first time, which was which was interesting. A conversation for another time, perhaps. But I, the big driver outside of outside of Europe is California. Obviously, very very popular in the US in its in its early years. And it's only more recently that it's begun to grow a sort of global market. Um, a lot of wines have. Um, have gone to La Place de Bordeaux, which are these um, merchants who have big international reach. And the likes of the UK is, 
just as it is for Italy, a growing market. And you've got some very good agents here with some extremely good wines, and they're really evangelizing it. And I think, again, you know, California is being increasingly accepted by collectors and buyers who are looking to diversify their collections, who are looking for new things to try. There's a realization you don't just have to buy French, don't just have to buy Bordeaux. And while some US wines are extremely expensive, you know, the likes of uh, Screaming Eagle, for example, is you know, certainly up there with you know, costing the same as Petrus uh, and can be very hard to find. There are other, uh, a great many other US wines. If you look you know, from Napa, for example, you know, Dominus or Opus One, uh, both of which actually have Bordeaux connections and, and founders, uh, which might be slightly ironic, but um, that offer a very, very good value. You know, the, these wines cost less than first growth Bordeaux. So if you're someone who is used to buying sort of extremely high quality claret, and you're looking to diversify your what, what you know what's in your cellar why not try something from california i think it's uh, i think it's piqued people's interest and it's uh, it's definitely the most most dynamic new world if we can still use that term uh region at the moment i'll let you get away with it um <laughs> you quite often hear the term uh, traded on the place the place de bordeaux uh, mm. bandied about um i can think of a few people sort of uh, better qualified to explain that than you. Just for the, someone who's, who's listening, who's not familiar with what the place actually means, uh, what, what does that really mean when um, merchants and people like you um, use that, uh, that term traded on the place? Right, so I, I suppose the, the, the idea of uh, la place gives you the impression that sort of uh, it's, it's one thing, one building, it's, it, it's not. Um, essentially what it is, Bordeaux, which is a um, you know, extremely important um, wine producing region in France, and obviously globally as, as is well known, uh, it has, through a system known as En Primeur, where the Bordeaux Chateau offer their new vintage, sort of slightly early as it were. This is done through the Chateau going to what are called négociants, essentially wine merchants um, in Bordeaux. And these négociants then have contacts with fine wine merchants around the world. And so if a uh, fine wine merchant in London wants to get hold of an allocation of Chateau Lafitte or Lachebarge and Pichon Comtesse, for example, they'll go to go to the uh, negociant in Bordeaux uh, and, and get hold of the, the stock they need and then offer it on to the likes of you and me. And so it's through this entrepreneur system that the negociants at Laplace have really developed and there are, there are many, many of them. And what's happened in more recent years is that a good number of non-Bordeaux wines, Bordeaux wineries, have come to Laplace, uh, say, have come to the uh, merchants in Bordeaux, is probably a better way of putting it, and, and said, you know, can we, can we, can we work together in, in, you know, for you to distribute our wines more globally? Um, and so quite a lot of uh, Americans, a fair number of Italians, uh, the old South African, I mean, the, the number of um, variety keeps, keeps growing every year, um, are now being distributed, you know, through this, through this system of, of merchants, basically. Brilliant. If that, if that answers yes, your question. that does. It does. Fantastic. Thank you very much. It's one of those terms that gets used and uh, doesn't always get uh, explained. And I think assumed knowledge can be a, uh, a tricky thing sometimes. Um, final question then. Um, what's your sense, just briefly, of how uh, the market is? Is it, um, you know, it's it had some, some real turbulence with the pandemic and the other factors you alluded to earlier on. Um, is there still plenty of confidence there? 
Yes, I think that there is a, there's a lot of uh, a lot of confidence in the market at, at the moment. I mean, if you, I, I would encourage listeners to go onto the Libex um, site and you can find our indices page and you can see the sort of you can track the, the progress of the of the indices over the last you know ten years or over the last year and whatnot. And you can see you know heading into 2020, there's there's a there's a dip, and that's the COVID hitting and everyone's going, oh no, what's you know what's going on? What are we going to do? And then in around May, June, the, you'll see the indices start to tick upwards and then they carry on rising. And what was extraordinary about last year is that, you know, with things going down, it all seemed rather hopeless. And then it rebounded. And last year ended up being a, a record year for the secondary market. I'm actually currently in the process of looking at what's been going on this year for our end of year report. And I think we're heading for a, another record year once more. So moving away from the Power 100, we, we, two of our major indices, our benchmark indices, are the LiveX Fine Wine 100 and 1000, uh, which again track um, the most traded wines in the um, in the secondary market. The LiveX 100 returned to its 2011 peak. So back in 2011, it, it, it hit this sort of high point and then dropped away and was very a bit quiet for about a decade. So it's now back at that 2011 peak. Not only that, it's actually surpassed it. Um, while the LiveX 1000 has been rising for the past 18 months consecutively. So fine wine prices are, are going upwards. There's no doubt about it. And there, this is a, a bull market. I'm not sure it's necessarily rising as fast as back in 2010-11 when, when China entered the market and was pumping a huge amount of money in. It's not necessarily as, as as rapid, but it's it's certainly climbing. Will that go on forever? Well, nothing nothing goes up forever. So something will possibly slow. Uh, look, I mean, governments are probably going to have to raise taxes at some point. Interest rates may go up. That's probably going to dampen enthusiasm uh, in places. I mean, right now there's quite a lot of ready money, so that's that's helping drive this um, the secondary market. But at the same time, look, the the market is is broader and more diverse than it's than it's ever ever been. So even if it slows, I think it's unlikely that it'll slump, shall we say. Uh, it's not going to go into a profound depression for um, for a long time it's because it's no longer as beholden to just one region or one group of wines as it was before. And collectors and enthusiasts are discovering that there are plenty, plenty more wines out there to discover. Yeah, I'll say. Well, um, good that they are and good that you don't anticipate some kind of hideous slump. And it's fascinating uh, talking to you as it always is uh, Rupert if anyone wants to read your report they can go to livex which is liv-ex.com and search for power 100 in the little search box and it's free of charge to read your uh, uh, your work isn't it uh, for a, for a it is like indeed you. yeah it's great. yes all right thank you very much Rupert thank you David that's a pleasure in a moment, we'll have the first of our recommendations from the IWSC Hall of Fame. But first, here's news of another Food FM programme you might love. Thank you, David. I'm Jenny Linford from Food FM, and I'm exploring the world of cheese, from brie to parmesan and everything in between. So after enjoying the drinking hour, why not listen to my series, A Slice of Cheese? You can find it on your podcast platform and foodfmradio.com. Now back to David and the drinking hour. The Drinking Hour on Food FM. You're listening to The Drinking Hour with David Kermode in association with the International Wine and Spirit Competition, using the best in the world to judge the best in the world. Now it's time for our first selection of IWSC medal winners, and let's start with a gold medal winner from Turkey, Prestige Bogazkeri 2018. 
uh, from Caia Clideri Saraplari. Hope I've said that correctly. Uh, the grape variety here is uh, Bogeskeri, a Turkish grape from near the Tigris River in southeastern Turkey. Its dark colour and strong body make it great with grilled meats and goat's cheese, relatively typical Turkish fare. Giving their gold medal, the judges said, an enticing and abundant characterful nose of bramble, cherry, sweet spice, floral notes, tobacco, very reminiscent of the kitchen garden, well-balanced tannin and acidity, a part of the lovely structure that's complemented by nice brambly notes. Next, a silver medal winner and also a classic from Tuscany, Castel Giacondo Brunello di Montalcino 2016 from Frescobaldi. Of this, the judges said, Fruitcake, sweet spices and cocoa envelop the palate, showcasing elegant and enticing rusticity. Give this a bit of time and you'll find it to be highly intriguing and hugely complex. So clearly a wine to hang on to there, from a good vintage too. And to round off this trio, another silver medal winner and in many ways the perfect winter wine, for me at least, Cornas 2017 from Vidal Fleury. In the Northern Rhone, Cornas has seen a dramatic improvement in quality over the past decades, thanks to producers like Vidal Fleury. This wine's imported by Louis Latour agencies of Burgundy fame. The judges said of this, a terroir-driven expression delivers a spectrum of concentrated dark fruits, complemented with a touch of cinnamon and nutmeg. Firm tannins provide a supportive structure to create a luxurious yet smart wine. The Drinking Hour on Food FM. Now, you might be tempted to think that France, old world as it famously is, doesn't get much older really, uh, had offered us everything it had in terms of wine. Uh, but think again, because there's a new range on the block, curated by a British importer seeking to simplify the complexity of French wines for the consumer. Fête de Flaveur has been created by Bibendum, you may or may not know the name, a venerable one amongst UK importers, after some exhaustive research to find out what British consumers want and what mystifies them about wine. It's already on the shelves of Sainsbury's stores around the country and there are plans for the brand that go much further than that. Rod Mathias is the French buyer for Bibendum and he told me what they were trying to achieve. Well, there are there are quite a number of things. I mean, this this whole um, French brand um, we've we've created has has come off the back of a sort of years worth of, of, of research that we conducted um, last year um, with over a thousand uh, consumers um, just to. Well, to find out what the challenges were, what the barriers were to um, to French wine, um, to purchasing French wine, um, and and how we can sort of make it a little bit more accessible, a little bit simpler. Because I think you know, you walk into a supermarket and you see uh, you see the, the rows of of, of shelves with full, full of wine, and you know, where do you start? So um, there there were four main things um, that we that we found that uh, I think can act as barriers to purchases for um, for consumers. And one of it is, one of the points is um, recognising the quality in in, um, in French wines. Another is um, familiarity with, with regional different parts of France and the appellations and all this sort of thing. Part of it is, is knowing that you're actually going to get value for money 
when you pick a, a French wine off off the shelf. And then the, the probably the, the most fundamental one is actually confidence that it's going to you're going to enjoy it, that it's going to be delicious. Um, so those were the, the four things which which really played out in in that research. And so this this French wine brand that we created, Fête de Flavour, um, really, really attempts to um, to meet all of those those points. Um, in terms of, well, first of all, you know, absolutely delicious wine, um, but then also giving a few cues and, um, yeah, trying to tick the sort of authenticity box as well. Um, so there, there are a number of points we've really tried to do here. It's quite a, yeah, it's it's, it's taken a lot of a lot of work, a lot of uh, thought, but um, we hope that this is, um, yeah, you know, made a little bit of progress to, to to reach those goals. I'm sure it must have been a, a huge amount of work, uh, really, uh, you know, ambitious. Uh, tell us a bit more about that research then, because the sample size, a thousand people, is. Uh, is is regarded as a you know a, a quite substantial survey, especially for a, a product launch. So you weren't doing things by halves. Uh, what did you find about confusion, for example? Yeah, um, so I think uh, when, when it comes to a French wine brand, I think a lot of um, a lot of consumers they they recognise um, you know key famous regions in France, maybe like Chablis, like Bordeaux. But then there's, you know, th these are sort of regional appellations or regional areas in France, which ha have, because of the history of French wine and uh, the, the popularity in the UK, you know, these are these are well known. But there's not really a, a brand as such, like like we see, for example, in 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 the New World, like Australian wine brands or, or American wine brands, where consumers really sort of know what they're getting every single time within France, it seems partly because of the fact that the the way that the supply is fairly fragmented is that you could be buying the same wine from the same appellation and get a different type of quality or even you know between regions between the north and the south of France obviously there are so many different nuances and differences between between regions that you know and varieties as well that actually within France that that fragmented supply base but also the the different um varieties and uh, nuances of each region um creates a, a fairly confusing picture you know particularly from from the outside you know if you're not if if wine isn't your uh the, the thing you you're you're doing every single day there's there's you know there's little reason you'd know why uh you know the, the different quality levels and the different nuances of of each little region so um you know this is this was really the the key thing um, that we try to do is is um, first of all we don't I mean we're not trying to dilute the um, the the sort of quality message I mean within the quality period of pyramid of, of French wines you have a a Van de France which is the most the broadest level of quality you've got an IGP which is a a slightly smaller area and then you've got the AOP which is which is quite a a, a designated area with certain quality considerations and so we were quite clear that we wanted to go for this really you know high level of quality the AOP level of, of quality which um, allows us to to find wines which express the nuance um, of French wine and and our aim is to try and translate that into a into a more approachable presentation and a more approachable um, taste as well um, and and one which offers a great deal of consistency and, and, and quality. Do you think there's a bit of a fear factor uh, with uh, French wines uh, particularly? I mean I'm, I'm thinking about the fact that you know if you go 
uh, into a particularly uh, you know French hypermarket, for example, which isn't a particularly great place to buy wine anyway. In, in all honesty, I think a lot of the time. Uh, but uh, if you you're, you're sort of just expected to know what a minervoir is, for example, there's a real paucity of information still to this day on uh, bottles uh, in, in France. And I, I noticed uh, in sampling these these wines, which are, are really great, there's a huge amount of um, information uh, around uh, likely kind of flavour profiles uh, on the front label, actually, which is um, yeah, pretty, uh, w- without looking too sort of tacky, is, is, is actually just sort of very helpful. It's presented in a very nice way. The artwork is good. Uh, do you think, is, is that something you've done to kind of counter that fear factor? Absolutely, absolutely, yes. I mean, the, the thing which we found was, you know, really of number one importance is this expectation of taste. How do the consumers, how do customers know um, that the wine is going to taste great? And how do you know the difference between, a, you know, a, a Terrain Sauvignon, a Sancerre, a, um, you know, any, a, a Bordeaux Sauvignon, anything? Because, you know, these, these are nuances within, within the French, within French wine regions. And so, you know, we, we were quite clear that we really wanted to express these on, on the front. You know, we, we're not trying to ram down too much, you know, French wine knowledge um, just off the bat. You know, if, if, if a consumer is interested that, you know, we've got a, a website and we've got much more information we, we can give. But I think these are the, the basic things on the, on the front of the label, which really, really help um, set off those expectations of taste. And I think within with with French wine, there's a there is nuance. You know, it, 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 we did quite extensive benchmarking against um, well the the current category of French wines, French wine brands, and then also against New World styles, uh, New World brands. Um, and it's clear, you know, that that um, French wine uh, has a, a sort of uh, some secondary flavors, which you know, in New World wines, you might expect a more generous fruit character. And in in French wines, perhaps there's a little bit of florality or a little bit of savouriness or a little bit of spice. And so, you know, we we were quite keen to try and express some of this. So, for example, in the in the Bordeaux, we, we've we've highlighted the the plummy um, flavours, but then also the sort of chocolatey spice and, and, and that element to it. And with the uh, with the Terrain Sauvignon, for example, the citrus peel, but then that sort of floral elderflower note. Um, so we, you know, we're, we're trying to just communicate that there's a little bit of um, nuance as well to, uh, to to some of these wines. And I mean, we did do quite extensive research again about what flavour uh, characteristics on the front uh, actually mean something to uh, um, to consumers, because I think there is a certain sense that, you know, within the wine community, we all sort of make up words about, uh, you know, this taste of, of, of you know, the, the dew on the grass and then the, the nettles in the forest and all this sort of thing. Um, mm-hmm. So uh, I think, you know, we, we wanted actually to find words which which actually had a, a fairly direct meaning and were fairly easily understandable in terms of, OK, yeah, you taste and you're like, oh, yeah, that is that is elderflowers. Yes, it is important as well because my friends are always laughing at me because I I use terms like foraged blackberries. Yeah, um, but yeah. what I mean, of course, is that I I mean foraged. I mean those wild blackberries that you pick mm. from a hedge. I don't mean the ones you buy in the supermarket because to me they have very different tastes. They have different aromatics and they have very different tastes. So those words are are really you know really important. Getting them right is really important, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. It absolutely is. And it's very personal as well, of course. Uh, this is a, a, a crowded market that you're entering here. There aren't actually uh, that many outside Champagne. 
there aren't that many huge brands in wine. Obviously, there are some. You think of Villa Maria from New York and the, uh, the, sort of the, the cheaper end, the likes of you know Echo Falls and Blossom Hill and that kind of thing. But you don't see that many uh, brands uh, that I can think of anyway uh, from France that are sort of readily available like these new wines are in major UK retailers. Um, so are you trying to... Uh, to kind of create a kind of power brand here? Well, a little bit. I mean, I'd, I'd say what we'd, what the, the the key target is, is almost to create a little road, roadmap across France just to highlight those details and those particularities of, of the regions. Because I think there is, uh, among among uh, shoppers who, who might buy, uh, pick up a bottle of French wine every other month or every few months, you know, I think... Uh, within the, the 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 retail environment, within the the supermarkets, it can be an extremely confusing area to to try and pick something. And so, of course, you end up just going for either the, the thing which is on offer or the thing which you're you're familiar with. We hope that by building a little um, roadmap, as I say, across France with these um, with this brand, that actually we we can also help build a little bit of confidence. Um, in in the French wine category, because um, I think yeah, this this idea of taste expectation not being met is is a really uh, is a really big challenge for for French wines. Um, so I'm 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 really you know this is the the key target really for mm. for the the Fête de Flavour brand. It's a good idea. Uh, how do you then go about uh, creating that map? I mean, where are you going to go on the map? Because there are any number of different places that you could go with a roadmap of French wine. So how are you choosing the uh, the regions and the varieties to feature? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a very good question. And it's also a very interesting question, given the uh, the harvest, which is, uh, which has just happened in France, which is uh, ex- extremely short, it's extremely low, um, in terms of uh, in terms of quantity, which will, will create its own challenges. But um, I think there are there are what we've what we've done with, with these uh, wines so far is is find wines which I mean show uh, show a point of difference among each other. Um, so you know the, the the Gamay from from Beaujolais Beaujolais Village is is a, a is a fruity a juicy sort of wine, whilst the the Bordeaux um, Merlot is a, a slightly richer, spicier wine, and we've got these these points of difference here. Um, I think there are there are many other areas actually within within France we could go. Um, so uh, along the uh, the Loire Valley, there are many many wines there which which express a great deal of nuance, which I think. Uh, um, really deserve more attention. You know, I can think of Muscadet, for example, as a is a is a wine which would which should deserve more attention. I think, um, and and has a wonderful sort of iconic uh, bottle as well that is is easily recognisable. And uh, you know, perhaps in the in the Rhone Valley as well, or or also other wines from from Bordeaux. I think there are you know there are there are many things um, that we that we can continue to to sort of explore. Um, I, I you know. Equally, there's uh, there's going to be some pressure around um, availability on, um, on 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 some some areas, given the the frost that, that happened in April um, across France. Um, so you know, but but this is part of the story. You know, we, the, the, every every year in France, there's a, there's a different uh, a different vintage, and we we also need to tell that story. So you know, we we can adapt and um, and sort of tell that story as best we can through the through the wines. Um, which I think is is a really important um, an important thing to, to to try to do. 
I mean, you're seeking to, you know, push at an open door here uh, in, in that there's definitely the appetite there for uh, the, these uh, wines uh, in that, you know, French wine has, has always been, you know, enormously popular in the UK. But when you're taking something, let's say, like like the Bordeaux Red that is in the Fête de Flaubert range, how are you uh, deciding um, what that should taste like? Because if I think of a Bordeaux Red, I can think of any number of different styles that you could choose. Yeah, no, it's, it's a good question. And it was an interesting uh, experience to try to, to do this um, last year during the, uh, during, the, during the lockdown. I mean, I had numerous, numerous samples being sent over and we, there was a lot of back and forth um, as we were, we were trying to hone in on the, the style and the wines and, and sort of creating blends and adjusting oak levels and all of this sort of thing. So there was a lot of back and forth, a lot of sampling and, and virtual uh, meetings to, to, to discuss all of this. So uh, in that sense, this year should be slightly easier when we actually can go and, go and visit uh, producers in, in person to to create these uh, create these styles. But um, yeah, with the with the Bordeaux in particular, which you which you mentioned, I think the idea is is to create something which expresses the which expresses the appellation, but in a, in a modern style i think um a lot of the the challenges with traditional bordeaux is this this sort of clunkiness on the palate a, a sort of harshness and, and some edges and you know the the, the changes in, in wine making but also the warmer um vintages in the past few years have mean that we can really create quite a smooth wine quite a a rounded feel on the on on the palate um, which is really what we've we've tried to do here. So you know, by by benchmarking against what's available currently within the French wine category, and then also looking at um, you know, what is successful within the new world, we've created a, a style which is um, yeah very very approachable, but also um, really speaks of of the origin as well. I should say, having sampled a couple of these wines, that I think you've done a really great job with that Bordeaux red because. Uh, it does reflect what what you just described that that modern style. There is an accessibility there. Um, there is a wonderful kind of fruit profile that makes it uh, you know a real you know just it, it sort of screams out for you know a block of cheese or something. It's, it's a it's a or some pate or something. It's a, it's yeah. a really lovely wine. It's it's very well made. So who is making these wines for you, and and to what extent are you getting involved? Yeah, so um, what we've, I mean, within within the supply base um, that I work with, we have uh, a number of um, Cav Corporative who are really, I'd say, the experts in their in their regions and have quite extensive um, capabilities and um, connections within within their regions to to get quite a variety, a, a wide variety of different uh, different styles of wines, which then allows me to to blend uh, and and to. Uh, adapt uh, some of those styles to to create the the final um, vision. I mean, a part of it is trying to marry this idea of um, these flavor characteristics, which we're we're sort of aiming for, and which we feel is really typical um, of of those uh, of those regions. So we, I started by creating a um, a, a few uh, words and, and and flavors, which I thought you know when I think of Terrain Sauvignon or when I think of Bordeaux Merlot, these are the flavors which are you know which which we expect and then working with uh, the various components and as i say over over the lockdown period it, it made it more complicated and so i had lots of uh, lots of little samples which we were you know sort of blending and, and going back and forth and uh, eventually we, we, we you know we found a blend which was um 
which was uh, t to our sort of liking and, and, and met those 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 criteria. So um, yeah, I mean, we're, we're I'm very very deeply involved within within the, the sort of creation of, of the wines um and um yeah it's uh working with these cab cooperatives as i say is uh, is, is a way to draw on really specialist knowledge um but also working with uh with growers and, and people who who have been working that land and working within that region for um for decades um, so mm. there's a, a huge amount of expertise um, behind all of this. Yeah, we should just explain for those who are less familiar with the terminology what a cav cooperative is, I suppose, as well. Yeah, sorry. Um, so it's a, a usually it's a it's a union of, of growers. So um, there will be vineyard owners who then um, bring their grapes, bring their um, bring their wine to a central place, which would be the uh, the, the cooperative. Um, and then it's the cooperative then who, um, who who buy those grapes, make the wine, and then market the wine on, on their behalf. And so um, it, it means that um, the growers can can focus on growing growing grapes without having to be too concerned about how the wine ultimately is going to be marketed. And, and they can let the experts, uh, the uh, the cooperative, do this work for them. So it's um, it also creates a, a great deal of stability within the region because. Um, the growers will year on year bring their grapes to the cooperative, um, and the cooperative can can build on a, a steady quantity of, uh, of of grapes to then go and um, sort of go to market with, with those wines. Um, so it's it's a very stable and historic system for. Um, for, for creating wines within within regions in France. Yeah, and they're doing a great job. I mean, it, it's such an enormous sector. Something like, uh, I think more than half of the wine produced in France, I think, is produced by a, a co-op, isn't it? And, and they really have, a lot of them have really reinvented themselves and, and, and are really producing some some you know, some fantastic wines, I think, as well. So great that you're, uh, you're, you're working with them. Um, what about the design? Because I know what, what's most important to you, I'm sure, is, is what's in the, the bottle, the juice, but it does look great as well. Did you um, sort of spend a lot on the design? Yeah, I mean, so, well, first of all, this came back to the, um, back to the, the research we did last year on, I mean, on, on French wine and French wine brands. And I think within, um, within France, there's an idea of um, it being a, a, an area of quality, a, you know, a country which is known for high quality, high quality wines. And so I think the, the idea is that the the label needs to reflect that uh, that high quality and that sort of authenticity of the different regions. Um, so I I don't think you can go too far in terms of reinventing the wheel. Um, we we want it to look fairly classic because we're talking about quite classic regions. But at the same time, we didn't want uh, you know just a picture of a, a castle on a white label with chateau whatever, and it it doesn't doesn't really tell you anything. So we don't we we sort of wanted to stand out from the from the shelf a little bit, and in that way, we've used different colours for um, for the different wines, which also actually gives a a hint of how the wine might taste if you if you think of uh i don't know uh, a zesty sort of um, light crisp white wine you might think of you know green or, or blue or yellow might be might be the best rather than red or, or purple or this sort of thing just to give you a sense of um you know what what uh, what the flavor might be mm, but yeah, um, it, they do look really really striking actually which i think uh, is such a hard thing to 
uh, to, to pull off. Yeah, no, I mean, we, we, we did, <laughs> we, we did work very hard on this. And we did go back to go back to our consumer panel and ask, actually, what you, well, first of all, what do you think of the name? And there was very good feedback on that, because even, you know, Fête de Flavour is okay, it's French, but we all know what a Fête is, you know, we, or we, we have village fates in, uh, in the UK for, for years, and there is a sense of uh, maybe a party or a celebration there, um, which, which um, hopefully most people get. Flavour flavours is, is again, very close to, um, to the English. And so we wanted it to be immediately understandable in, in that way. But then it, in terms of the, the label uh, design as well, that was, that was put back to the, um, back to the consumer panel, and it, it did come out um, on on top against its uh, against its peers, so um, yeah, we, we were very pleased with it. It's uh, really interesting. I, I was able to see a little bit of the um, uh, the research, yeah, a, a sort of presentation deck uh, that one of your colleagues sent me, and 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 the amount of research that's gone into this uh, the, the the development work is is really uh, fascinating. Actually, what are the early signs in terms of uh, how the wines are performing? Because I think couple of them at least were launched into Sainsbury's stores in August weren't they yeah you're absolutely right yeah so the, the feedback so far has been has been extremely good I mean we also uh, did a, a little launch at the Hampton Court um, food festival as well at that uh, I think it was August as well or maybe it was the first week of September in you know to, to really um, get the wine out there and to get people tasting it quite frankly which I think is you know is is the most important thing the, the reviews on the vino and those sorts of things have been have been very very good um, so we're yeah we're, we're extremely happy happy with it and I must uh, before you go ask you about trends in uh, French wines as well because uh we, you know, you have this expertise. So, um, what uh, are you sort of uh, noticing in terms of wine trends in this market in the UK uh, with regard to France? Yeah, that's. Uh, I mean, it's, it's a big question. Um, I mean, there, there's been all sorts of, um, I mean, all sorts of things which have been have been going across France, partly because of the the warmer vintages in the in the past few years have meant that there's a there's a certain ripeness and there's a certain charm, um, immediacy as well to uh, to many wines which maybe before had slightly more some more edges perhaps. So you know Burgundy, we've seen actually the demand for for Burgundy wines has just been exploding, and I think will continue to continue to explode. I mean that's that's really nothing new, but um, it, it's something to highlight because it has been you know it's been extremely successful um in in the past years um the only challenge is of course the fact that the the new vintage the new harvest has been extremely short will put will put mm. severe pressure on that um but we've seen uh massive growth in sustainability organic um and, and this direction of things there's a as a, a, a it's called hve uh which is a, it's a, a um a certification within france uh which uh confirms a sort of holistic management uh, of sustainability within within producers, so producers are very engaged to to try and reduce their carbon footprint. Um, maybe they're using lighter lighter bottles as well, but there's always uh, they're trying to reduce their water usage. They're you know perhaps they're put, installing solar panels across their uh, their buildings, and there's always a you know a, a, an intention to treat the the land and the vines with with respect and to ensure. Um, the long-term sustainability of, of that sort of of the uh, biodiversity within the vineyards. So that I mean, I would say if there's one thing that's, that's really exploded within the within the past. 
five years, it's going to be this organic and uh, sustainable direction within within French wine. There are some other experiments without with maybe slightly more natural winemaking, which is um, which is quite interesting. But maybe that I mean that's with uh, you know using just spontaneous fermentations. Maybe it's using no sulfites and all of these sorts of trends. But that's happening at a much smaller scale. Uh, well, I, I think you're absolutely right about sustainability. There's scarcely anyone you talk to now in in uh, wine, uh, particularly in in France, that uh, isn't talking about sustainability. It's been really fascinating to hear how you go about um, building a a new uh, wine range. Um, Are we going to see some new wines uh, in the pipeline for Fête de Flavour? Yes, I hope so. Well, there are quite a few things in the in the pipeline and from different regions, um, different appellations, um, and we we hope also perhaps to, to to see the wines in some restaurants and um, you know actually more broadly um, out in out in the in the world of of, of wine consumption. So um, yeah, a lot a lot that we've got planned in the next uh, few months. So uh, yeah, stay tuned. <laughs> yeah, well, and a lockdown labour of love as well. So great to see uh, it on the shelves after. Uh, that uh, extraordinary period. Um, Rob, it's a great pleasure talking to you. Thanks for joining us on The Drinking Hour. Super. Thanks so much, David. The Drinking Hour on Food FM. So there's just time for another trio of medal winners from the IWSC Hall of Fame. And let's go to Portugal first. Quinta do Paral. Coleta Selecionada 2017, produced by Herdade Tinto e Branco. This was a silver medal winner with 94 points. That's just one point shy of a gold medal. Uh, so it's a goodie. Uh, located near Vidigueira in the very centre of Portugal, the vineyards are spread over a, around 100 acres. Uh, the vines are old, dating back around 40 years. And the judges said of this, Wonderful cigar box aromas developing into soy sauce, sun-dried tomatoes, cured meat and a hint of mint. This is savoury, I'll say, and sensual, brimming with cassis and blackcurrants. Delicious and serious, they said. Sounds great. Uh, Next, it's to Napa. Uh, Trefethen Family Vineyards, Merlot 2018, won a silver medal. Uh, we've mentioned medals for Trefethen before. I think we did the Dragon's Tooth before. Uh, they're based at Oak Knoll, a family outfit uh, with a loyal following, uh, imported by uh, Daniel Lambert, uh, a UK importer based in Wales. So you'll find this in indie wine merchants uh, around the country. And uh, Merlot is just uh, so good from Napa. We tend to think of Cabernet these days, but Merlot is still really great. Uh, giving their silver medal, the judges said, perfumed nose of blue and black fruits that follow to the palate and are joined by delicate oak tones. There's a rocky minerality to the concentrated fruit finish. And finally, a spirit to round off with, something rich, uh, rewarding and gold medal winning and definitely something for uh, the end of a meal, I think. A symphony of pleasure, no doubt, from Mozart Dark Chocolate from the Mozart Distillery in Salzburg. It was liqueur producer of the year uh, last year, 2020, at the IWSC. Uh, And this particular dark chocolate won a gold outstanding with a whopping 98 points. Of this, the judges said a rich, bitter chocolate nose showing notes of espresso, peanut butter and toasted nuts adding complexity. More deep, dark chocolate flavours on the palate alongside hints of hazelnut. Perfect harmony throughout with sweet chocolate characters balancing more bitter cacao notes. 
And there are no bitter notes from me. As I say, uh, that's it for this week. Uh, my thanks to uh, my guests, uh, Rupert and Rob. Uh, thanks to them and thank you to you for listening. And you can follow us at Food FM Radio on Instagram or Twitter. And you can follow me, Mr Venusaurus, on Instagram or Twitter. For now, though, goodbye. The Drinking Hour on Food FM. You're listening to The Drinking Hour with David Kermode in association with the International Wine and Spirit Competition, using the best in the world to judge the best in the world.